0: This episode is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. Learn about the wonderfully tart Montmorency cherry at ChooseCherries.com. At this point, the question isn't if your life has been changed by the coronavirus, but how. The Meat and 3 team and all of our hosts here at HRN have been covering the impacts on the food system from every angle, but today we're turning our attention to culinary education. I'm Kat Johnson, and this is Meat and 3.
1: Meat and three. Meat and three. Meat and three. One meat, three sides. Food, news, and storytelling. A square meal for your ears. Meat and three.
0: When the educational system is disrupted, it has a ripple effect. Grade schoolers are staying at home. That means parents, who have their own jobs to juggle, have to be extra hands-on with their kids' schoolwork. College students went home months early and are suddenly navigating a virtual course load, and many are wondering if it's worth enrolling in summer and fall classes if they can't be on campus. Culinary education has its own unique problems. Classes aimed at training chefs, bakers, and bartenders are inherently hands-on, Plus, there are a lot of people who get training through work opportunities like international study programs or externships in professional kitchens. Today, we hear some personal accounts of how COVID-19 has disrupted culinary education. We turn now to McGill Webb, who reported this story for us.
1: Having the opportunity to expand your culinary education is incredible especially when an award or scholarship covers your expenses. There are grants awarded in the food industry that allow people to learn by traveling to new countries and kitchens, but most, if not all of these, have been put on hold due to the current situation. Mary Clay Klein, a chef at Coquette in New Orleans, Louisiana, is a winner of the Mentor Grant from the Mentor BKB Foundation. The purpose of the program is to connect cooks with mentors in a restaurant of their choice anywhere in the world. It covers room and board, flight, and a stipend. It's a chance of a lifetime.
0: I guess it was two or three weeks ago, they emailed all of us to tell us that we will still get the grant, but, you know, these are uncertain times, so I haven't submitted anything, but my plan is to go somewhere in Paris. It's just kind of crazy because we don't know what the restaurant industry is going to look like. You know, whenever we open up, be it a month from now or six months from now or, you know, maybe the restaurant that some people wanted to go work at isn't going to reopen. There's a whole slew of things that they're having to figure out, I'm sure.
1: Although it's disappointing to have a trip like this put on hold, day-to-day educational experiences have also been disrupted in major ways. Kevin Mitchell, a chef instructor at the Culinary Institute of Charleston in Charleston, South Carolina, shares what his current reality looks like.
2: For right now, everything we are doing is pretty much online lab classes where the students physically need to be in the kitchen have pivoted to creating pretty much an online class which includes the making of videos or sending videos to the students and then asking them to record themselves preparing a specific dish that the chef wants them to and then of course I'm looking at doing things with them on Zoom, so we're all kind of together doing the same thing, so I can actually see them all at one time. The challenge is, of course, you can't taste the food, which is a crucial part of the grading. It's, just, it's been really interesting uh, being at home and not being able to you know, physically interact with students, but I mean, I enjoy that personal interaction and being in the kitchen and, and really seeing their eyes light up when they, when they understand a process or a technique that I'm trying to, to show them.
1: In addition to changing how he teaches, Chef Mitchell is also having to change how students access the materials they need to learn.
2: We're a hands-on profession. Um, so <laughs> you, you have to physically be in the kitchen, and that's what we're looking at. Especially because we realize that, you know, students may not have, you know, professional equipment in their home. We know a student's not gonna have the professional Montague stove that we may use in our kitchen or the specific type of pots and pans that are needed to complete that, that task. The thing is, okay, well, how do we ask the students to go to the store and purchase a whole duck One of the ideas is still to purchase the food as we would normally do and then we would set up baskets or boxes for each and every individual student and then the student would come to the school and pick up their ingredients and then take them home to be able to do their lessons.
1: This strategy would allow students to save money without sacrificing quality ingredients. Chef Mitchell is also thinking about how to keep students safe when in-person classes are able to resume.
2: And then when they come to the class, of course, um, they'll be spread out. We'll have gloves and masks for them.
1: Until things can go back to normal, it's up to Chef Mitchell and his fellow instructors to keep students engaged and supported. But doing this remotely is no small feat.
2: For me, it's difficult to kind of be at home doing this. I'd rather be in the office Registering students physically, or just being in the office, offering you know my time to sit with the student and talk to them about their their aspirations and their career goals.
1: He is also thinking about the big picture: what long-term impacts will COVID nineteen have on culinary careers?
2: I think some of the students and some people will be like, you know what, I need to protect myself. If this were to happen again, you know, I need to be in a position or a profession that is still going to allow me to work. As we can see, it's not a protected profession.
1: Someone else who's thinking a lot about what the future of culinary careers look like is Catherine Miller, the vice president of IMPACT at the James Beard Foundation. As part of her job, Miller oversees the foundation's scholarship program, and she's anticipating an increase in applications this year.
3: COVID-19 has has had a tremendous economic impact on families all over the country, and as people are determining um, how they are going to pay for college, how they're going to pay for graduate school, scholarship and grant money is going to be in higher demand than ever before. The scholarship program um, started in 1991. It was really intended originally to help people who wanted to be culinary professionals, chefs, pastry chefs, chefs. to really plan their education within the food and hospitality industry. Over the last almost 30 years of that program, We've really seen it grow and evolve to a point where we're offering direct scholarships uh, to any type of institution. It could be applied to any type of tuition. It could be somebody who, again, wants to study pastry. It could also be somebody who wants to study soil quality at the University of Washington. But those scholarships are a very important piece of our um, education offering.
1: This year's applications will open May 1st as planned. The scholarships are awarded in the fall and recipients will have a full year to use the funding. Miller hopes that this timeline will give winners enough time to put the scholarships to use.
3: We anticipate actually unprecedented demand related to the need for financial aid to people to either start an undergraduate or professional degree or to carry into their graduate or professional studies. Um, So we're sort of full steam ahead. And I think more than ever, Some of these deeper studies, some of these deeper programs, say, working at a winery or a cheese class, um, a cheese apprenticeship, are going to be even more necessary moving forward. I think what we are anticipating is, one, a greater interest in where our food comes from, a greater interest in demand on better understanding the systems that control our food in this country and globally, The way food is shared and community is created and the need to build professional expertise to expand people's knowledge and horizons at a time when, you know, jobs and financial aid and everything's going to be more competitive. And also some, you know, maybe some potential wanderlust or greater
1: desire to see other
3: aspects of the food system in person.
1: To learn more about the James Beard Foundation's scholarship, you can go to jamesbeard.org scholarships. Applications are open as of May 1st, 2020 and close at the end of the month. If you're in culinary school or pursuing work-study opportunities, it's hard to know what your next few months or year will look like. There are so many factors to consider when making choices about your future. Whether or not you can attend in-person classes, scholarship availability, access to travel, and public health recommendations. Those who are determined to continue their culinary training will also need to think about what sort of jobs they'll pursue. According to the Independent Restaurant Coalition, 11 million independent restaurant employees will lose their jobs without urgent government action. Going back to Chef Mitchell's point, students may think twice about entering an industry that lacks a strong social safety net. Culinary schools have a lot of challenges to overcome but much of their future depends on the fate of restaurants. You can learn more about the work being done to advocate for independent operators at saverestaurants.com.
0: Thanks to McGill Webb for producing and reporting this week's episode. Meet and 3 is produced by Hannah Forden, Matt Patterson, Katie Mosman-Wadler, Dylan Hoyer, and me, Kat Johnson. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. Meet in Three is powered by Simplecast. Meet in Three is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio. And please stay in touch. Whether you have a story, idea, or would just like to say hello, you can write us at ideasatmeatin3.nyc. That's all spelled out. This episode is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. A cherry isn't just a cherry. When it comes to tart cherries, the wonderfully U.S.-grown Montmorency tart cherry variety is the cherry with more. They're available year-round, dried, frozen, canned, juice, and concentrate. U.S. Montmorency tart cherries are also one of America's superfruit, which means they're good for you. Tart cherries contain many antioxidants and beneficial phytonutrients, including anthocyanins, the pigments that give tart cherries their bright red color. And don't forget about flavor. U.S. Montmorency's unique sour-sweet profile make them an excellent addition to yogurt, oatmeal, salads, trail mix, and, of course, a classic cherry pie. Learn more about the wonderfully U.S. grown Montmorency tart cherry at choosecherries.com.